this is uh, coming out. So thank you for allowing me this moment. <laughs> yeah. We are... Oh, thank you. Uh, this, this is really... Had and so um, it spurred me on. I'm writing on the Lord's Supper now, and then uh, my editor has urged me to to write on Hebrews. So we shall see about that. Okay, <laughs> you've got something going, <laughs> but uh, um, but uh, we're at Romans chapter twelve. I'm sorry, twelve. Uh, <laughs> haven't you been in the classes recently? Uh, <laughs> I haven't either. Romans chapter 10 and verses 9 and 10. We providentially ended at verse 8 last time, and that was a good place to end because 9 and 10 raise a number of issues that we've got to talk about. Um, the, uh, once again, to set the book and the passage in its context, Paul is addressing the question of, of Israelite unbelief. Doesn't the unbelief of Israel invalidate the promises of God? He's, he raised that question already in chapter 3. Um, and uh, there he said, of course not. But if, if you have a prophet speaking, and the prophet says something that is out of harmony with prior revelation, that prophet's a false prophet. That's Deuteronomy chapter 13. Um, so if, if anyone comes and preaches to you, um, as Paul says in Galatians 1, a gospel other than I have preached, let him be accursed. But Deuteronomy 13 says something similar. A prophet who comes and preaches in the name of any other god than the god that, the god that Moses has spoken in, in, in his name, he is a false prophet. You're to stone him to death in any city that listens to him, you're to go investigate, and if they're really listening to a false prophet, you are to uh, destroy the city, burn it, and it's to remain uh, uninhabited forever, a permanent ruin. Um, so if Paul is preaching a gospel different from, or a message different from what is in the Old Testament, Israel should reject faith in it. Do you follow? So maybe their unbelief is caused by the fact that Paul is wrong, not because Paul is right and there's something wrong with Israel. Um, but Paul is, is belaboring this issue, uh, and in the passage we looked at last week, verses 5 through 9, he cites the, uh, the uh, prophet Moses. And I, I should add here, Moses is actually, this is going to be hard for us as Christians to, to sort out, but Moses is actually the foundational prophet of Scripture. All other prophets have to fit with Moses. So even Jesus says, do not think that I've come to destroy the law and the prophets. I have not come to destroy, but to fulfill. You, re you remember this, yes? Why does he have to do that? Because all prophets must fit with all prior prophets. And that includes Jesus. Jesus is not exempted from that. And so in chapter 3, Paul says, but now a, right, a, a, um, a without law righteousness is revealed, being testified by the law and the prophets. And then in chapter 4, he gives the testimony of the law and the prophets. Why does he do that? Because he has to show 
that his message is not new. It is what has always been the message of the prophets. And that's what the rest, in fact, that's what chapter 10 is about. Israel had the message that Paul's been preaching. And he's going, to, he's going to take us through the issues, the evidence that this is the case. First, he's shown us Moses. Then he's going to talk about the rest of the prophets. So we ended with verse 8 last time. Look at verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. Um, that is um, uh, the, uh, uh, the word of faith which we are preaching. Yeah, if you, if you get into that, if you go back two verses in that thing, who will go up? Yeah, yeah. Uh, in, in Deuteronomy 30 that we looked at last time, um, uh, Paul is saying that Moses is teaching faith. So in Deuteronomy 30, verses 11 to 14, um, uh, he says, uh, this commandment which I am giving you today is not too difficult for you it's not up in heaven uh, it's not beyond the sea the word is near you in, in fact he, he goes on to say the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it and the question is what is the commandment and both in, in the preceding context and in the succeeding context in Deuteronomy 30 so Deuteronomy 30 11 to 14 is the passage Moses uh, Paul has quoted but in Deuteronomy 30 verse 6 God said, Moses says, for God, the Lord will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your children after you, that you may love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, that you may live. And subsequently, in verse 15, Paul says, or Moses says, um, see, I set before you um, life and prosperity, death and adversity, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God. Are you with me here? So, the, so from Paul's point of view, and Moses is saying, loving God with all your heart, soul, and strength is the message of faith. Okay? It's what faith is. It's loving God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Now, just so that you'll understand what that means, uh, I, somebody put on, you can put anything on Facebook and people will believe it. That's the problem with Facebook. Uh, so was this husband and wife week? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Somebody put on husband and, put on Facebook, this is husband and wife week. If you're still proud of being married to the one that you married, uh, put the year that you got married. So Jan and I got married in 1970. That's 47 years ago. That's incomprehensible to me. How could it be 47 years? It, it just cannot be. But we got a 46-year-old daughter, so it better be. So... <laughs> The, the, uh, um, so I have to remind myself, that girl is there. She's proof. This really is 47 years. Uh, and I would have said to her uh, in, on June 5th, 1970, uh, Jan, I love you with all my heart. And it was true. Today I may say to her, I love you with all my heart. And it's still true. But it's a vastly different concept than it was 47 years ago. Because I didn't know her all that well. I didn't know myself very well either. But all that I knew of myself, all I loved all that I knew of her. Does that make sense? 
And now, all that I know of myself loves all that I know of her. There's a whole lot more depth in that knowledge now than there was 47 years ago, but it's still true. When you are a person of faith, you love God with all your heart, soul, and strength. You don't know much of yourself, and you don't know much about God, especially in the early days. Or if you grew up in a church like I grew up in, where the great responsibilities were um, get saved, rededicate yourself when you have, have gotten out of harmony with God, tithe, attend church, don't drink, dance, smoke, or chew, <laughs> or, go, or go with girls that do. Uh, uh, and, and if you do these things, you're essential, and, and witness, uh, then you, you essentially have everything you need to know about the Christian life. That was all the sermons I ever got when I was a kid. Well, yeah, uh, don't, don't get involved with people who are of different denominations than yourself. But, but the issue was, that was all I got, and I, I, I knew that I had nothing to trust but God. I had no behavior in my life that I could trust. So the only hope I had of any approval before God was altogether in Jesus, but I just didn't know what that meant. And it took me years, it took me 30 years to get over that. It, it took me getting past my master's and my doctorate at Dallas Seminary to get over that. Um, I, I'm somewhat like uh, Martin Luther in that he, he came to know the Lord through his teaching of Romans. <laughs> I came to understand faith and grace through my teaching of Romans. Um, and that's why this book is so important to me. But, um, uh, but now, six, 62 years into my Christian experience, I can say I love God with all my heart, soul, and strength. I know a lot more of myself than I used to. I know a lot more of God than I used to know. But there's still enough in God to scare me. Yes? I know he's good, but I think he might not be sometime. <laughs> Am I making any sense on that? Uh, so there are things I don't really want to do <laughs> because I'm not sure that God's going to really come through for me this time. Uh, I, I, I've heard about people getting their heads chopped off, and I figure getting my head chopped off might, be, might not be worth it. Uh, am I making sense to you? So... What does that mean? Does that mean I don't love God? No, it means that my love is immature. I need to grow up some more. That's the hard part at this point in my life. I don't want to grow up now. I want to, I'm, I want to be finished with growing. But, but God's not finished with our growing. Uh, if he were, we wouldn't be here. So, Romans 10.8 uh, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. And notice that verse 9 then starts, because, or do you have because? That. that. Okay, you can go either way, uh, because or that. And one of the great commentaries on the book of Romans suggests that we shouldn't make a decision between the two. The, the problem is in English, I have to. In Hebrew and in, in Greek, I really don't have to do that. But in English, I have to. 
because or that. If I translate it that, then I'm defining the word of faith. If I, if I, if I translate it because, I'm giving the reason that the word of faith is near you in your mouth and in your heart. Are you with me here? But it probably is at least both at this point. So, uh, namely, <laughs> um, if, we can, if you confess with your mouth, uh, do you have the Lord Jesus or Jesus as Lord? Jesus as Lord, Jesus as Lord is probably the right way to read it. Uh, and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the mouth... Faith is exercised for righteousness. With the, I'm sorry, with the heart, faith is exercised for righteousness. With the mouth, confession is made for salvation. And we've got some, some hard sledding in these couple of verses we've got to talk about. First of all, uh, what does it mean to confess? Well, we spent some time with this several months ago about confession. Folks, the word confess is not used often in prayer in the New Testament. It's, it's frequently used that way in the Old Testament. And, 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 and it's only rarely used with reference to prayer confession of sin, including 1 John 1, 9. In the, in the writings of John, John uses the word confess about 10 times, approximately 10 times. Of, of those 10, nine of them are not prayer. I'll give you two examples. John 1, the disciples, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Jesus is, uh, I'm sorry, I've, well, I'll wake up uh, here shortly. Um, I may be lucid, who knows. Uh, John the Baptist is ministering in John 1, and people from Jerusalem come up to, come out to, to see who he is, and they say, who are you? If you're not the prophet and you're not uh, Elijah, then who are you? Um, and he's, and he, the text of John says this. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. Why do you have to say it that way? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed. Well, partly in order to establish the fact that this was the, the very word that John spoke. But secondly, he didn't run back. Where are you supposed to pray? What does Jesus say? Where are you supposed to pray? Where? Closet. Where's the closet? In your home. In a place where normally visitors don't go, right? Right? So John probably lived in a cave, right? And living in a cave, he ran across the river got into his cave and went way in the back where he kept his clothes. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and he, he drew the curtain across, got down on his knees in the closet, and he lifted his he eyes to heaven and he said, Oh, Lord, I am not the Messiah. Then he opened the closet, went out from his cave, went back across the river, went to where the Jewish leaders were, and waited for the next question. Exactly what he did. Yes? Of course not. Uh, the... The point is, to confess in John is consistently used in the sense of making a public announcement. Did you say testimony? Yeah, gave testimony, but it's, it's uh, for us, that could be giving a witnessing. Uh, but the, give testimony in court, 
would be a good way of, of thinking about this. He makes a public announcement. He's going on record, I'm not the Messiah. The other verse I'd like you to think about is 1 John 4, 1 and 2, uh, where John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So what do you do to test the spirit? Well, you're not reaching out with your aura to feel the, the aura of the false prophet. You're examining what the prophet is doing. And, and so the spirit and the prophet are interrelated. Yes? Apparently, all prophets have spirits behind them. So a true prophet has the spirit of God behind them. A false prophet has another spirit. So how do I know? So by this, that's the next verse, verse 2 in 1 John 4. By this, you know the spirit of God. Uh, spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus as the Messiah come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess such a Jesus is not from God. So what do I do? I'm listening to the message of the prophet, testing to see whether he is from God or not. And if that prophet does not affirm that Jesus is the Messiah come in the flesh, he's not from God. But this is not prayer. Are you with me? Yeah. So confession is more a public announcement. You go on record, as it were. So what can we say? Confession is walking the aisle. Amen? Because my pastor here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area back in years gone by said, if you're not willing to walk to the front, then you're not willing to be saved. Well, where is that in Scripture? Where does anybody ever walk the aisle in Scripture? What, what, what's, what's going on here? It's a confession. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a confession. There's some kind of formal way in which you affirm something significant about Jesus. Now, having said that, what is the significant thing we must assert about Jesus? Well, that Jesus is Lord. Right. Turn to Philippians 2, verse 11. You have the same construction in Philippians 2, 11 that you have in, in Romans 10, 9. Um, Philippians 2, 11. Wherefore, God also has highly exalted him and has given him the name which is above every name. So that the, at the name which Jesus bears, it's not the name Jesus that's above every name. The name Jesus is the Greek form of the name Joshua. That's my son-in-law's name. His name is not above every name. He's a son-in-law. Yes? He's a son-in-law. No son-in-law has a name that's above every name. Amen? Every guy that knocked on your door to see your daughter... His knuckles were dragging on the ground. He had only one eyebrow. <laughs> yes. Slant. Yeah. Yes. Pirate. Did you say pirate? <laughs> no. Neanderthal. Isn't pirates too, too exalted? Neanderthal. Joshua is not the name that's above every name. What is the name that's above every name? Jesus. No, not Jesus. That would be Joshua. Jesus is the Greek form of the name Joshua. 
What is the what do what do modern Jewish Christians call Jesus? Yeshua. Yeshua is the form Jesus in Greek. Are you with me? Right. So that's just Joshua. So what is the name that's above every name? We're going to find out in the passage. Look at it. Philippians Philippians 2, 9. Not Christ either. Because David was Christ. He was Messiah. Go back to the Old Testament and check that out. See if it isn't true. It is the case. All right. So verse 9. God has given him the name that's above every name. So that at the name that Jesus bears... Every knee shall bow, things in heaven, things in the earth, things under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord? What does the word Lord mean here? Not master. It's kurios. In Greek, it's kurios. What does kurios mean? What does Lord mean? Well, let's go back to Romans 10 and let's find out. I have here... Then in Romans 10.9 and in Philippians 2, the same construction. I'm not confessing the Lord Jesus or confessing that Jesus is master, as we'll try to argue. In Philippians 2, Paul is not trying to argue that Jesus is master. He has a much higher role to, to, uh, to show for Jesus than that he is master. So what do we have in Romans 10. Well, the, the, yeah, but what does that mean? Look at verse 13. What does it mean to call Jesus Lord in, in verse 13? Salvation, yeah, but what does the word Lord mean? Yahweh, how do you know? It's not in your in, in it's not in Romans ten, <laughs> all caps. It is okay. Well, good. Um, this is a quotation from Joel two thirty two. In Joel two thirty two, it's a, a message of salvation for Israel in the day of the Lord, the day of the. What do we call it? The day of the Lord. What's that mean? The day of God's major intervention for judgment and salvation. Are you with me? It's the day of God's major intervention for judgment and salvation. In Joel 2.32, it shall be that everyone who shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In fact, it doesn't have everyone. But in Hebrew, it says simply, the one who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But that word Lord is, is in all capital letters. And that means, we've already said it, but what does it mean? Yahweh. Yahweh. It's, the, it's the personal name of God. When Moses asked, what is your name? God said, I am what I am. Tell them, I am has sent me to you. When God says his name, it is I am. When we say his name, it is he is. It's not asserting the existence of God. It's asserting his, his presence and his care and his providence and his deliverance. This is all in, in Exodus chapter uh, 3. That, that's all there in that passage. So what are we asserting about Jesus in Romans 10.9? <coughs> his 
his deity. Why is it necessary to assert the deity of Jesus? And people who hold to what's called lordship salvation say, well, if he's God, then he's lord. He's master. But, but that's not the point. Why is it essential in Romans 10.9 to say that, it, that, that you must confess with your mouth that Jesus is Yahweh? Because the Jews did not hold him. That's the point. This is not about how every last human being on the face of the earth gets saved, and therefore everybody who gets saved must take Jesus as master of all. If he is not Lord of all, he is not Savior at all, is a, a catchphrase that some folks in the Lordship Salvation movement use. It's unsound. When is Jesus ever Lord of all in your life? Mainly, mainly, only when I go home, <laughs> not to eighty six oh five Lexington Drive, but uh, to the to the Lord's presence. Only then, so I can't even be saved until after I've died. And yet, that's not Paul's teaching, is it? So, what is it saying, folks? The problem with Jews. And let me, in order to make this this more pointed, turn to Acts two. Uh, in verse uh, 38. We'll go right to the mouth of the dragon here. Acts 2.38. Uh, do, yeah, 2.38 is, is the one that I'm most interested in right now. Um, Peter said to them, who's them? All, all the Jews that he's preaching to, people who've gathered from all the all the regions from India to, to Italy for, the, for this uh, day of Pentecost. And he's preaching to Jews and he says, Repent and let each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus. Well, there it is. Amen. Yes? Be baptized in the name of Jesus. Yes? For the forgiveness of sins. Um, that's That's taking us into areas that I don't want to take time to deal with today. But one thing I'd like to point out to you is Peter didn't do what Jesus said to do. Just days before, Jesus said, Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of Jesus. No, he said, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So Peter doesn't do here what Jesus commanded. The very first sermon a Christian preacher preaches violates the commandment of Jesus. We're in trouble from the beginning. Or, or maybe the circumstances are different. In the Great Commission, who, is, who are the disciples sent to? The whole world. The whole world doesn't know God. They don't know a God who is Father, Kathy. They don't know a God who is Father who would give His Son to die for us. They don't know a God who is Spirit. They know gods who are maybe partly Spirit but also tied profoundly to, to material things. So Gentiles have to be introduced to a God and identify with a God who is Father, Son, and Spirit. But we're talking here in Acts 2 about Jews. 
who know a God who is Father. Look this up in the Old Testament. It's not the most common designation of God in the Old Testament, but it's not completely infrequent. Are you with me? They know a God who is Father. They know a God who is Spirit. They believe that God is Spirit. That's the problem with Jesus. He's not Spirit. He's flesh. What they deny is that Jesus is God. Are you with me? The issue for them is not making God Lord of every part of their lives. They thought they had. Especially the Pharisees thought that God was Lord of every part of their lives. So if if God is already Lord of every part of their lives, what do they need with Jesus? (laughs) Am I making any sense to you? So... Peter has to preach to them, you think you're serving God, but you're actually violating every God, everything God is about. Because as Jesus said in John, if, they had known, if you had known my Father, you would have loved me. So they don't even know God as it turns out, but they know about a God who is Father. They know about a God who is Spirit. What they reject is that, is, is that God is also Son. And so baptizing them into the name of the Son is the essential point for a lost Jew. Think about it, folks. How can I, once Jesus has come, reject Jesus but cling to his Father? Yeah, because he said, if you see me, you see my Father. Yeah. So he will say, John will say again in 1 John, um, everyone who is born of God loves the one who has who is who is begotten and he loves the one who is begotten by God. Are you with me? So false teachers in 1 John don't love Jesus because they don't love God. They pretend to love God. They say they love God, but they're in fact lying. They're not telling the truth. So Paul so 1 John says if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness we lie, and are we not, we're not doing the truth. So far, so good. So what's going on in, for, in Romans 10.9 is not telling you that you must ha- be committed to God and to obedience before you can be saved. It's telling you, you must know in whom salvation is, is available. And Joel 2.32 already established that. The one who calls upon the name of Yahweh shall be saved. But Yahweh now, as of Paul's day, is known through the Father and through the Spirit, but preeminently now through the Son. He who has seen me has seen the Father, Jesus says. Yes? No one has seen God at any time. Um, the one who is in the bosom of the Father has explained him. Are you with me here? So if I reject Jesus, I cannot have salvation. I, and rejecting a Jesus who is man is not to lose salvation. It's rejecting a Jesus who is God that is to be debarred from participation in salvation. The crucial issue here, folks, the context is essential. The context is telling us, <laughs> if, you re- if you are trusting a Jesus who is not God, you cannot have salvation. 
If your Jesus is the first and greatest creation of, of Jehovah God, then you're not a Christian. You have no hope. You have no salvation. There is no forgiveness of sins. If you're trusting uh, a Jesus who is the, who is the uh, spirit son of Jehovah and the spirit brother of Lucifer, who has to come to earth as a man and progress to godhood, you, you can't have hope. You can't have forgiveness. You, only a Jesus who is God can save. Why is that? Turn to Psalm 49 and let's see it. In Psalm 49, uh, an important passage on this issue. Um, verse 7. Psalm 49, 7. It'll be 7, 8, and 9 that we'll look at. No one can in any way redeem his brother. No man can in any way redeem his brother or give for him uh, to God a ransom for him. The ransom of a soul is is um, costly. That's, yeah, it, 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 it would cease forever. That is, the idea is <laughs> like trying to pay off a credit card, paying the minimum payment. You'll be paying on it forever, and you'll never really ever get it paid off. Um, so that he should live forever and not see destruction. I can't give a redemption for you because, number one, I'm a sinner, and I have to pay for my own sins if I'm going to if I'm going to pay for anybody's sins it has to be my own what if we had a, a sinless human being could a sinless human being die for our sins and the answer is no because he has obligations to God that he has to fulfill and if he fulfills your obligations he can't fulfill his own am I right so what's going to have to happen I have to have somebody who is a man who can die, yes, who owes nothing to God. And I have to have somebody who's not finite. Because any created man is finite and can't pay an infinite penalty. So I have to have a man who can die, but somebody who owes nothing to God and who is infinite so that he can pay the infinite penalty of, of sin. Uh, uh, eternal, or not eternal, infinite separation from God. And I've just said more than I understand. Don't please, please don't ask me to explain this. <laughs> but this is as far as I can go in explaining the, the, etern the, the uh, atonement. So, so the, one, the one who dies has to be a God-man. So he, if he's God, he's infinite, knows nothing to God. And if he's a man, he's sinless, and he is free of any obligations on his own so he can die for others. Brother, I'm sorry. So what you're saying then is that a Mormon who understands Jesus in the Mormon sense could not be saved. That's right. Unless he escapes the Mormon sense of Jesus mm -hmm. and goes and That's right. And I guess the same is true with Jehovah's Witnesses. Yes. Well. And any cult, uh, Christology, the doctrine of Christ is one of the crucial places where every cult falls down. And it will be critical to test anybody that you're in, interested in teaming up with in ministry. Test them over who Jesus is. 
uh, if they just say God, Jesus is God, Jehovah's Witnesses will say that. Say son of God, but they, they, but they will say a God. Yeah, but they won't. They, but they don't mean what you mean. And the the issue for us is to understand Romans ten nine is not establishing for every last human being on the face of the earth what is necessary to be saved. Namely, is to make Jesus Lord of your life. How would you do that? He's God anyway. He's already Lord. Yes, I can't make him Lord. But it's rather to recognize who he is and affirm, like John affirmed, I am not the Messiah. Affirm, Jesus is God, God's Son, uh, the one who does the will of the Father. And if that's the case, then there is, there is hope for salvation. But that's the problem that Jews have. They, thus, our passage, uh, we started today with verse 8, and we've gone all the way to verse 9. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, running through. But this is full of issues that we've got to address. Uh, in John, in 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 Romans ten eight, the message of faith is what Israel rejected. And in John, Romans ten nine, the deity of Christ is what Jews rejected. They can't have salvation. And he goes on to say in verses uh, verse ten. And this, is a, this sounds like there's a two-stage um, work in getting to salvation with the heart one believes to, salva- to righteousness and with the heart, heart sorry, I'm, I can't get it out right, with the heart one believes to righteousness, with the mouth one confesses to salvation. So you get righteousness first, then you're, sal- you're saved. But, but the word righteousness, folks, look at how heavily this passage is scented with the Old Testament. Righteousness in the Old Testament, in a significant number of, of, of occasions that it's used, is actually a synonym for salvation. So we're not saying two different things. We're saying the same thing twice in different verbiage. So, uh, so Paul is drawing on the, the heart-mouth issue in verse 8, repeats it in verse 9, repeats it in verse 10. Are you with me here? So... This is the message. This is the message, Paul says, Moses preached. Jim, I'm sorry I put you off. 2 Corinthians 5.16 seems to be a passage where Paul makes this distinction between knowing Christ as a human or yeah. acknowledging his deity. He says, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus alone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the same kind of idea that we're working with here. The uh, so I've got two things that are coming out of Paul's teaching on the law of Moses. One is the law of Moses taught faith, and the law of Moses anticipates or 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 sorry, I've said it wrong. Uh, in his teaching on the law, it taught faith. In his teaching about on the lost condition of of his day, Israel in his day, it's because they reject faith and they reject the deity of Christ. That leads then, let's go back to Romans 10. Oh dear, it's almost time to stop. In verses um, 11 and, uh, to 13, he's going to raise the issue. And now we've got two verses that we love in this passage, 11 to 13. I'm going to deal with this quickly 
and, and we can get at least through 13 today. The first is um, um, uh, verse uh, uh, 11, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him shall, be, shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord of all is rich to all who call upon him, for uh, everyone who shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That, so we've already essentially talked about that. Verse 14, though, is where I want to get past. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe of him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without someone to preach? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, you have, do you, how beautiful? Uh, another meaning of this word, and it, it I probably fits the context a little better, is timely. How timely are the feet of those who preach the good news? But not all have believed. And this is the problem of chapters 9 to 11. Israelite unbelief. Not all have believed. Is there a reason, Paul? Can we come up with a reason why they have not believed? The preceding verses, 14 and 15, might suggest an answer. Maybe nobody was sent to them with this message. Um, verse 16 continues, For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Amen. Yes? Do you have word of Christ? I do. Um, yes. But Paul goes on. But I say, it isn't that they haven't heard, is it? The rest of the chapter, in fact, the whole chapter is about reorienting our thinking about the Old Testament. Um, Sixto mentioned, was it Sixto, was it you who mentioned paradigm shifts we're having to go through in Romans? Here's another one. Paul thinks the whole Old Testament taught faith and a coming redeemer. That's not the way I was taught the Old Testament. What are the first five books of the Old Testament called? Or? Law. Law. What's law? Better do it. Bad consequences follow. Paul says... Moses and all the prophets, read down through this rest of this passage, down to verse 21. Paul says, all the prophets preached faith and a coming redeemer. Well, it looks like they preached obedience. Yes, they did. But you've got to get it in its right place. Paul also preaches obedience. But you have to get it in the right place. We're not saved by, our, by obedience. We're saved for obedience. We're saved by grace. Grace never produces sin. Grace only produces righteous behavior. But it's a righteous behavior that goes radically beyond keeping rules. It's a, it's a righteous behavior that lays down its life for those it loves? Yes or no? 
It's a light, it's a it's a it's a righteous behavior that accepts one another. When there are Jews and Greeks in the same church, they get past their cultural differences and their early, old, long-term spiritual teaching. You can't have fellowship with a Gentile. He eats pork. You can't have fellowship with a Gentile. He's unclean. Are you with me? Gets past Gentile arrogance. You Jews mutilate the body. Circumcise. So that Paul's going to say in the climax of the letter in chapters 14 and 15, accept one another as Christ accepted you for the glory of God. That's the righteous behavior he's looking for. Not a bunch of rule keeping. The only thing he tells us to do, there are only four things he tells us to do, three things he tells us to do in Romans 12 to 15. I don't know if you knew that or not. Only only three things he tells us to do. And they're all an expression of one. Make your body a living sacrifice. How? By ministry and your spiritual gifting. By accepting people that um, that uh, uh, that are hard to accept. By loving without play acting. And third, by accepting people that differ with you over the way the Christian life ought to be lived. They use guitars in their church. I wouldn't. <laughs> what has guitar to do with? the service of the Lord Jesus what has an organ to do with it for that matter we're, we're dividing over nonsense because we don't believe in grace we believe that we earn something by what we do we, the way we do it is right but that's what every group has always believed that's what your family believes and you began to notice that when you got in-laws <laughs> the in-laws are strange and we're the normal ones. <laughs> uh, uh, so, so what is this righteousness? It's a righteousness that goes way beyond keeping a bunch of rules. It, it goes to the point of touching every area of your life sacrificially. So again, Romans fifteen seven. The whole point of the letter, as far as I understand it, the, the summary of the book of Romans is not Romans 1, 16 and 17. It's Romans 15, 7. Wherefore, receive one another as Christ received you for the glory of God. And I just want you to notice before we stop, in verses 11 and 12, all the references to Jew and Greek and all, 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 all. He's still talking about that issue. How is the Gentile accepted before God? By knowing a God who is Father, Son, and Spirit. How is a Jew accepted before God? By knowing a God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So Romans 10, 9 and 10 do boil down to a basic explanation of how everybody's being saved. But the issue in the passage is about Israelite unbelief. Why are they lost? Didn't they know the message? Paul says every prophet preached it. So 
they can't get off. They have no excuse for their unbelief, just like you and I have no excuse for our unbelief. Let's close with prayer. Father, it's our doctrine that Jesus is God. And we mean it when we say it. But we just don't always understand it. And since it's so hard to understand, since you made us and know that we are made of clay and we're weak, then, Father, help our weakness, help our unbelief. We cry out to you that we would be people of grace, the grace that works the righteousness of Christ in us, produces in us the fruit that demonstrates the character of Jesus. Um, Lift us above party spirit to become people who love our enemies and who pray for our enemies. People who, when we disagree, disagree, but do it in a spirit of love and accepting people who differ with us. People who also name the name of Jesus. Deliver us, Father, to give our lives in ministry and our spiritual gifting, making our bodies a living sacrifice. And then, Father, when we stand before you, we will hear those words we long so to hear most from your voice. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.